All right, it's been, I think, five days since the last video. Probably all thought that uh, finally one of my many enemies got to me. Well, you'd be wrong. I've just been busy with, like, oh, really quite nonsensical stuff, church politics that came about as a result of a bunch of other people. Um, and somehow I got involved somewhat stupidly on my part. <coughs> but anyway... Um, We'll see where that goes. Uh, so it's just been a lot of uh, time wasted on emails backwards and forwards and discussions and blah, blah, blah. Uh, it'll all end up uh, clearing up in the wash one way or the other. So I'm not really uh, too fast one way or the other. It'll, it'll be what it'll be. Um, I put some stuff up on the blog. I, I updated my, my About Me page on the blog just to be... Um, in line with my more uh, recent philosophy of life, let's say. And uh, that's where we're at at the moment. Um, enough said about that. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, you know, people should be allowed to go to whichever priest they want, whenever they want, to ask whatever they want. And if that particular priest says, don't darken my doorway, then so be it. That's on him. Um, but, uh, well, whatever. Anyway, it, it's really just sort of, you know, mean girls bullshit. Let us get on to like more interesting things. I received a very uh, interesting email from John. There's a lot of Johns out there. So uh, you know who you are, John. You sent me an email talking about, um, you know, getting a, maybe a group of men, Catholic men together uh, that are interested in martial arts and learning about some Sistema stuff, learning about... Um, Catholic dogma at the same time um, but again you know I'm, I'm no kind of abbot and I'm not trying to create a monastery here but there is definitely a need for uh, original Catholic men to um, sort of the same philosophy that the original Catholics had you know in the year 1095 or 1100 or 1200 or 1500 you know, Catholic men were definitely not sit down and get beaten over the head by everybody types. Um, you must also remember there's a very interesting, which I, I bring this up because it's sort of uh, part of the reason that we've had this squabble lately. There are essentially uh, a few number of types of Christians. So there are the clergy and in the higher orders, essentially that, you know, that there's... Um, the seven orders of clergy. Uh, the first three, or is it the first four? The first three, I think, are, um, no, the first four are something like porter, which is the guy that lets people in or out of the door, depending on whether they should be allowed in the church or not. Then there's the uh, lector, the guy who reads some of the passages. There's an acolyte, which is just before you become... Oh, sorry, so there's three, no, sorry, there's exorcist, which is the third one. Then there's acolyte, which is the fourth one. And then, if I remember right, there's subdeacon and deacon, which might have been combined into one. And then you've got um, priest and bishop, and that's it. You know, now, once you become a priest, um, and I think, in fact, actually, when you become a subdeacon already, you are bound by the... the the rules of the clergy in other words you have to be celibate and so on up until the point that you are an acolyte i believe 
you know that's why for example exorcists could be laymen that weren't um, clergy yet now there's a bit of you need to understand a couple of things about there again which goes to paradoxical thinking 3d thinking as opposed to binary thinking black and white thinking or what i call 2d thinking which is very common among protestant people and unfortunately is wrong and mistaken um so in theory anybody can be an exorcist you know you as a normal person can exercise somebody if you um, use the proper formulas if you do the correct prayers and if you you know do it in the name of jesus christ invoke his name and so on and so forth i don't advise it at all if you have any um, knowledge of um, anything to do with exorcism or demonic possession and stuff like that it's a very serious situation it's um, it's actually really quite dangerous um, I have actually had to do with a person that I believe was possibly partially possessed at some point and it is it's freaky to watch I mean and 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 it is you know it is fighting in a realm that's not your realm so it's like I don't know it's like if you're gonna go and have underwater sea battles you know that's not your element you know you, you're not trained you don't have, know anything and you're like yeah I can swim and you just go down and try and have fights underwater mm, with people that creatures or whatever that live underwater all the time you know the likelihood of you coming out on top in that situation are very slim and it's only through trial and error and a lot of pain and a lot of damage and a lot of um, suffering that some people have learned how to deal with this world. If you're interested in that sort of stuff, you know, the Malachi Martin books are quite interesting in that respect. And they're actually quite frightening to read um, because you start to get an understanding a little bit of what's going on. And they can seem quite dramatic and fantastic and... Uh, fake even but um i'm absolutely convinced that malachi martin knew exactly what he was talking about and uh, he was quite clearly uh, a good exorcist so anyway the thing is the church is prudent so they're not going to tell you anybody can be an exorcist they're going to say no only those who are qualified to be an exorcist should be an exorcist and it's not a bad tack to take. You see, there are different rules in the church. There are spiritual rules and then there are practical rules. Some rules are practical just because human beings need them. Um, also, you could have been an exorcist before and just stopped there and not gone to take the, uh, the vows of celibacy and so on. Although that technically was kind of like frowned upon because the idea is that if you start on the path to uh, holy orders, you know that you you take it all the way through anyway the point is i said there's a different types num different types of catholics right so one is the clergy so the clergy essentially includes these subcategories of lower orders of people that are intending to become priests and so on and then there are essentially you know yes there are deacons subdeacons but essentially in the higher orders the ones that really matter are priests and bishops and they have specific tasks and specific ways of doing things and of course according to their character now when i say that there are many different types of, of catholics let me be a bit more reductive than that and i would say 
there are essentially three types of Catholics. There are warrior Catholics, there are martyr Catholics, and there are run-of-the-mill Catholics. Now, run-of-the-mill Catholics are basically the average person. They are, in men, they are the Delta. They're the guy who, you know, he goes to work, he is a good man, he looks after his family, he provides for them. He's a good guy, good friend, just your average common guy who's just normally going about his business, just trying to survive in the world and do the best he can. That's most people. That's like 80% of humanity sort of falls in that category, assuming good guys, right? We're, we're not assuming the bad guys here. So what's that last 20% made of? Well, that last 20% of is, is made of, again, you've got the warriors and you've got the martyrs. Now, the martyrs, in my opinion, are a small number of people. There are quite a lot of people that pretend to be martyrs. There are quite a lot of people who pretend to be warriors. They're basically gammas. You know, they're the gamma secret king, want the authority, but none of the responsibility, um, want to be the leader, but not take any of the difficult decisions or be blamed for anything when it goes wrong. So those people are, uh, you know, they're fakes. They're neither one or the other. I do believe there are genuine martyrs, and I do believe amongst people who become priests and bishops, um, that's probably where you find the largest percentage of real martyrs in the Catholic Church. And I'm talking about real priests, real bishops, not the Novos Orco guys, you know, the real ones. Among those people, you will find um, a larger percentage of martyrs than in most places. Because keep in mind, in order to be a priest, if you're a genuine priest or a bishop, there are certain things that you uh, swear to on, on pain of death, right? And one of them is to break the confessional seal. So a priest would rather be put to death than break the seal of confession. Now, in, if you are a real priest, if a real priest is willing to go through that, that's a real priest that is um, absolutely living for the supernatural. He is living for the truth well above his own worldly concerns because he's willing to die for a concept, for an idea, for a spiritual uh, point which is essentially loyalty to somebody who has put their trust in you their spiritual trust in you and if you accept that that's what a priest is let's let's just for a moment accept that that would, all priests let's say all good priests you know they they are they have to accept that so what kind of person would do that on top of that they have to be celibate that is they can't get married have kids and families and again what kind of person does that it's a very big sacrifice and it comes from the Bible where Jesus says, you know, there are some men who are, uh, you know, uh, eunuchs and some have been made that way, some have made themselves that way, some are just that way by nature, whatever. And these guys are best to dedicate their life to God. Um, so in essence, it's saying, look, if you are not the type to have a family, either you can't or you don't want to or you, you don't know how to, then it is best if you dedicate your entire life to God and glorifying God. And essentially, that's what priests are, are doing. It is a big sacrifice. So it's already quite clear that such a priest would be on the path to martyrdom to one way or another. Now, an iconic film called The Mission, which is an old film, I saw it when I was 16, clearly shows the divide between the the martyrs and the warriors. And there's absolutely no doubt in my mind which one of those two I am or fall into. 
I absolutely believe that martyrs are higher on the scale than warriors, but God loves his warriors too. So now in the present situation, the crisis in the church is such that the Novus Orco have destroyed everything. So the so-called nominal Catholics are all deceived, absolutely deceived. If you're a nominal Novus Orco Catholic that, you know, thinks Bergoglio is the Pope or Ratzinger is or one of the others since 1958, you're absolutely deceived. And you are, to a certain extent, emasculated. You are uh, reduced to, like, bowing down to pedophiles, accepting, you know, completely corrupt evil men as being somehow spiritually superior to you in the sense that they have to guide your spiritual path. And it's absolute rubbish. Complete fucking nonsense, right? So, nevertheless, let's say you're not a Novus Orco guy. You are a proper Catholic. You're a real Catholic. You're a few you're a remnant, you're abandoned by, you know, the original church, although this is all prophesized, and this is all pretty much in the Bible. So, you know, I don't know why you're panicking about it, but it's what's expected. And what's going to save Christendom, what's going to keep Christendom uh, guarded from the complete destruction that our enemies envision for us is Catholic men. These are the guys who, you know, went to the Crusades. And keep in mind that the Crusades were originally done by a few families, a few Frankish and Norman families that were intermarried. And the crowds and the other thousands of peoples and the soldiers, they all followed these few families. So don't be afraid that you're few or that even you're alone or whatever. But to a certain extent, while I'm here on Earth, while I'm alive, while I'm in London, you know, if... Um, there are men who are Catholic or want to be Catholic or have the intention to become proper Catholics and they also want to learn, you know, how to f sort of, to a certain extent, uh, act in both a Catholic way but also in a warrior way. So be able to handle the sort of stuff that happens in martial arts classes. Uh, you know, I'm 50 now, so I don't have any intent to, like, start wrestling daily with like uh, fit 26 year olds that maybe are juiced up and all enthusiastic and want to prove how tough they are. I don't care. You know, if I have to fight a six foot four guy that's 30 years old and it's strained all his life and, and you know, he's a fighting machine and he's pumped up and all that, it's not going to be pretty. You know, it doesn't mean that he'll win. I don't care who's going to win, but it's not going to look nice. And at the end of it, somebody will be dead, you know, because <laughs> getting to be a certain age where I'm like yeah I don't really give a shit anymore if you're gonna fight me you you, you better know that it's a real thing you're not you know I, I'm not interested in doing the little sports stuff so but I can teach it you know I can I can tell people how to do it or I can uh, give them advice on how to train and so on so if such a group of people is interested and if it's big enough you know, we can do something about it. Now, John wrote me a letter, and he's the first guy, and he said that he can't volunteer anything because, you know, he's barely meeting his commitments. So, of course, I told John, don't be a pussy, and since you're the first guy that wrote me an email, you're going to uh, keep a list. So, if anybody else writes to me and wants to be part of that group, and you're in London, you're in England, you're somewhere where you can get to London, maybe once a month, whatever, uh, write to me. I'll forward your email to John. John's going to keep a list. When we have enough people, I don't know how many enough people is. It might be three, it might be 30, whatever. When there's enough people interested, I will then tell John, John, here's an email. Send it out to everybody. And John, don't be a pussy. 
you are now the holder of records. I don't care that you don't have enough time, you know, you're a filthy Anglican and you need to learn to become a proper Christian. <laughs> you know, in his email, John told me that he's an Anglican and that um, he doesn't mind getting bullied into, into Catholicism uh, because he, it might spur him to learn a bit more and uh, find out a bit more. So, John, I'll just start out lightly, you know. Um, so my, my light bullying is, is as follows. If you're an Anglican, your church was created for the express purpose of fucking nuns and killing and divorcing your wives when you're tired of them because it was started by Martin Luther and King Henry VIII. So that's it. If you're, you know, an Anglican, you are essentially a Protestant. You're one of the many, 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 many denominations of Protestantism. There are over 40,000 now. So you're part of a sect that uh, was created by Martin Luther, who was a fat German who changed the Bible and then said that the Bible is infallible. So you're basically following a fat, egomaniac German and another fat, probably sterile uh, king who decided to kill his wife when he was tired of them. And um, he was very upset that the Pope wouldn't let him do that. So that's the origin of your church. The origin of my church were, you know, Jesus and the apostles who all pretty much died for their troubles as martyrs. So there you go. Just value judgment, you know, decide for yourself sort of thing. <laughs> I'll start you there. Let's see if you ping me an email about that. Um, so, yeah, so that's maybe going to go ahead if I get enough interest, enough response. The idea is not about any money, just so you know. Um, it is something I've, I have never... Um, it also relates a little bit to the uh, to the arguments we've had in the church recently. But, um, you know, I've been doing martial arts pretty much most of my life. And I have never, I've run gyms, I've run schools. I've never actually taken money from training. Um, there might have been a couple of months where there actually was some leftover money uh, at the, you know, after the rent was paid and everything. And yeah, I might have usually bought drinks for friends, you know, that we're training with. Um, I certainly have never made money from from training. I always invariably ended up putting my own money into it. And uh, I feel that's pretty much because, you know, if you're going to try and have a business with something that is essentially a spiritual thing, you're a fraud, a liar, a fool or a fake. You know, spiritual things are not about money. Of course, sometimes you will need money because maybe you need a, to rent a place, a venue where to meet, you know, so you need to pay for that. That's just how the world works. But it's not about that. You know, if there's five of us and we know that, hey, the room costs a hundred bucks and we meet once a month and there's five of us, guess what? It's 20 pounds each, done. You know, <laughs> it's not difficult. And... You know, then if there's enough people and I'm the one that started it and I'm the one that's taken the trouble to do all that, then fine. You guys paid, so I don't have to put my money in my pocket. I'm giving my time, right, to, to help and teach and whatever. And if then we have more money beyond that, well, maybe we can do something cool with it. Maybe we can publish some videos. Maybe we can do something else. You know, maybe we can produce a little book about how we're setting up our, 
our system so that other people can copy it and, and grow from it, you know, whatever, I don't know. It's organic, it has to develop in its own way. Um, so yeah, that's the intent. If you're either Catholic or wanna be Catholic and are interested in martial arts and generically Catholic uh, behavior as a man, um, in terms of being a protector of the faith and that sort of stuff. Keep in mind, I'm no priest, I'm no saint, and I'm no leader, right? So it's something that if you want to do, if you find useful stuff in what I'm telling you, then maybe we can get together and do that. If you are going to do that, I strongly suggest that you probably should read uh, my little book, Believe, just because that will give you a flavor for what kind of guy I am. And whether you want to listen to somebody like that or, you know, take instruction for someone like that or not, because you might not want to. Um, and keep in mind that the, the level of, shall we say, theological teaching will be relatively basic and simple. Okay, we are, if we do cover that stuff, it'll be a, a small part of the, of the session, of the lesson, which most of it would be about martial arts, movement, techniques, fighting, sparring, you know, whatever calisthenics, body stuff, and there will be a little segment at the end, maybe only 10 minutes, maybe only 15 minutes, maybe it's like pray the rosary in Latin, say, you know, learn a prayer in Latin, say, learn the basic principles of canon law, or like where do you find canon law, what is canon law, what does it mean to be a Catholic, that sort of stuff, you know, basic, basic things, and I wouldn't presume to know uh, very much, so beyond those very basic points, I would refer you to a priest or, um, you know, some catechism books that I know are genuine or good and so on. So that's the idea. That's one of the, the ideas. Um, and it ties in with a lot of things because, you know, you have to keep in mind, I lived outside of the church for 47 years. I didn't back down from very much in my life. I uh, wasn't scared of very much in my life. Um, and I don't think that anyone that knows me can uh, even suggest that I'm not uh, a mentally quite uh, strong and persistent individual, to put it mildly. Um, but all of that is as nothing compared to the strength of character, persistence and so on that you get from... Um, being actually Catholic and, and having those beliefs. So another little thing I'm going to tell you, I'm going to read to you a little bit about a guy who I, I, I aspire to, you know, I find him inspirational. This is Jean Parizot de Vallette. He was the guy who was the chief of the uh, Knights of Malta in 1565 when they uh, were sieged by the Muslims. And if you want to know more about that, and I suggest you do, it's a great read. It's a brilliant book. It's well written. I suggest you read a book called The Great Siege. I'll put the name in the link in the bottom. Um, the Great Siege, Malta, 1565. It's by Ernel Bradford. I'm not sure how you spell his first name. E-R-N-L-E. Ernel Bradford. Um, brilliant book. Very well written. And he talks about Jean Parizat in there as well. Um, now, the thing is that Jean Parizat was undoubtedly, both tactically, strategically, and uh, as a man, a very courageous, uh, very brave 
powerful man with, which had a character that his men obviously respected uh, very much. Uh, one of the things that stuck in my mind, um, and I've mentioned this before, but I was wrong about his age. When he was 71 years old, he was the leader of the Knights of Malta, and he fought in barely enough armor, wounded in the leg, um, on the walls of the on some, one of the crumbling walls of the city, fighting hand to hand with with Muslims, and he did this all day with a pretty severe wound in his leg from a grenade that had gone off, uh, an explosion of some type. Um, and his men implored him, you know, they they implored him to please, sir, get off the the, the walls, you know, because when they saw the the leader of the Knights of Malta going to the wall, wounded in the leg and fighting you know, with his sword, all the knights rushed to say, you know, that's our boss, we we. We're not going to let him get killed by the Muslims. And they all rushed at the Muslims that were coming over the wall. And um, and his men implored him and said, Sir, sir, we'll, we'll fight, we'll fight, we'll stay here. You know, just please go back, go back. You're our chief, you know, you're our leader. We're going to protect you. And he'd have none of it. He basically said, I'm 71 years old. And I've lived a full life. Well, better way to die. If today's my day, let it come. <laughs> and he stayed on the walls. Now, that's a man, see? brilliant guy and there's a reason i'm telling you all this story and what i mentioned before remember i have these long loops bear that in mind so the awesome guy right but if apparently you read um into his personal life and i don't know how accurate this is or isn't right but uh personal life and this is from you know wikipedia so i don't know how accurate it is De Valette has been referred to as one who never broke his vows. But it has been claimed that he had a mistress while in Rhodes, because um, either before or after Malta was they went to Rhodes, called Catherine, nicknamed Grec, the Greek, and that he had an illegitimate son from her who was called Barthelemy de Valette. Documentary evidence has been found by Bonello that proves Barthelemy was legitimized in 1568 by a decree by the King of France. So the King of France in 1568, um, which is, by the way, um, de Valette died in uh, 1568. So I don't know if he died before or after this happened. But um, a lot of stuff happened in the same year that he died, apparently. So this supposedly legitimate son was recognized by the King of France as being the legitimate son of uh, jean pierre de Valette. Whether that doesn't necessarily mean he was the real son, but it doesn't mean he wasn't either. Claims have also been put forth that the Valette had at least another daughter, Isabella Guasconi, after a presumed affair with the wife of a Rodiot nobleman of Florentine descent. Isabella later married a Florentine gentleman, Stefano Buonaccorsi, but he murdered her on 31st July 1568, sometime after their marriage. After the murder, Buonaccorsi escaped the islands with Isabella's wealth and was never heard from again. Now, the thing is that Isabella died on the 31st of July and uh, the Valette died on the 21st of August. I can only hope that given the, the times and the distance, hopefully he didn't find out about it and, you know, until after he died. Um, but maybe he did find out before, I don't know. Um, so, if that is all true, the uh, Valette was kind of a rough guy, but he was definitely a warrior for the faith. There is no doubt about that. Now, whether he had illegitimate children or not, 
That man was single-handedly possibly one of the people most responsible for the continued existence of Christendom. So this is a perfect ideal uh, candidate to explain what a Catholic warrior should be. As courageous as he was, as brave as he was, and as effective as he was, he was still a human being with all his flaws. Another thing that this is not from Infogalactic, this is from the book, which I trust a lot more because Mr. Bradford, I think, is a, a person who did a, a, a lot of research. I believe his work is a lot more reliable than Wikipedia ever is about anything. Anyway, um, in the book, um, he mentions how uh, the Muslims had captured some knights and the knights had captured some Muslims. And at one point, in order to, you know, destroy the morale of the knights, the Muslims tortured and crucified the knights within sight of the walls of the fortress that the knights were protecting. The valet lost his temper, and um, but not lost it in a, in a rage. You know, I I I, I felt after reading the book, that I understood exactly who the valet was, and that's why I um, sympathized with him a lot. So he ordered all the Muslim prisoners to be brought to the um, to the walls, had them decapitated, put their heads in cannons, and fired their heads at the enemy encampment. And when I read that in the book, I laughed. Now, I laughed because also in that same passage, they say that many of the knights and even other you know people, when they found out the story, they were scandalized. They were like, "This is not Christian behavior. You know, this is not. You're not a good Catholic. You know, you you're supposed to treat prisoners with some uh, kind of uh, mercy, and you know, we're supposed to be good people. Killing is always wrong, even though we are, um, you know, we're um, we're warriors, so we we kill necessarily. But you have to keep in mind that in the Catholic Church, killing is always considered wrong, regardless. And as a as a warrior or a knight or a baron or whatever, you probably killed people, but you'd still have to do penance for it, you know. So it was accepted you would kill enemies in war, but um, and just, but you know it's still kind of a bad thing. But to take prisoners who are defenseless, essentially cut their heads off and then fire their heads out of a cannon into the Muslim encampments, that was considered you know scandalous. And when I read that, I laughed because. I know exactly why he did that. He had to do it, and it was strategically brilliant. Because while torturing and killing the knights, you know, can have a demoralizing effect on the fighters, because of the Muslim religion and how they believe and so on, firing parts of the heads of their, you know, as Catholics, it doesn't matter what happens to our body after we're dead. Whether they burn it, whether they chop it into pieces, it doesn't affect our soul or where we're going. That's not so with the Muslims. And firing the heads out of their cannons basically told them, whatever you do at us, I'll do worse, you know. And it's a very sound principle of war. If your enemy starts to use tactics and techniques that are, you know, vile and disgusting, then that gives you absolutely license to do the same. Now, there are limits, in my opinion, in my mind, you know, if uh, an enemy started... But, but even then, let's say say an enemy, whatever, in a war, an enemy decides to try and kidnap the kids of, of your kids and whatever and torture them to death to demoralize you. What does that mean when you eventually overtake their lands? Or what does that mean? Are you going to do the same and try and kidnap their kids? No. 
But when you're going over their lands, you're going to exterminate everything that moves. You're not going to leave a living creature there, whether they're man, woman, or child, because those people are only going to become the adults that do that sort of stuff. So Europeans understand this. Americans don't. Uh, Americans have got a lot of uh, civil nationalism still going on. They don't understand what war really means or what war really is. Um, I have a guy that we disagree on quite a bit of theology because he's a Protestant and I'm not, but um, we were trying to explain this to some American friends of ours. He's Finnish, I'm Venetian, you know, quite different people. But they were saying, oh, well, you know, what happens if enough Muslims come to Europe and then the war starts and whatever? And it's like, well, it's going to be bad, whichever way it goes. You know, it's going to be absolutely horrible because the Muslims will try and wipe everybody out. And as Europeans, you know, if that's where we are and that's what's happening, we'd have to do the same. And the American guys are saying, yeah, but you wouldn't kill women and children. And we're kind of like, uh, you know, what are you going to do with them? Are you going to make them live in your house? I sure shit ain't. You know? And it, it is. That's what Europe is. Europe is the result of wars of extermination. That's why the Germans are Germans, the Italians are Italians, the Swiss are Swiss, and, you know, the Greeks are Greeks. Because anyone that wasn't like us got wiped out. It's get the fuck out, leave, or die. That's it. There isn't a third option. You know, it's like... If you're here, you're going to die. You either go away or you get exterminated. And whether you like it or not, that's sort of um, in our DNA to some level. You know, it's ugly, it's brutal, it's vicious, it's wrong. But it is what it is. And, you know, if it's a choice between having some person or persons or whatever, I don't care whether what ethnicity, religion, whatever, I don't, I don't give a crap. And if it's a choice between my kids getting killed by them or them and their kids getting killed by me, well, guess what? That doesn't mean I think it's good or right or, or you know, it's, it's horrific. It's absolutely horrific. But that's why you need to understand the nature of war. It is horrible. So, you know, as a proper warrior, you should always try and avoid war. It's the last resort. It's the last way. But if it comes... If there is no other way out, then make it swift, make it as final as possible and ensure that there is no comeback as much as you can, you know. That's kind of the nature of the beast. So we need men that understand that because <clears throat> your children or your children's children will need this sort of stuff, you know. Um, so, yeah. Jean Perizot de Valette, he's a, a good guy. And the idea is to um, understand how somebody can have such clear principle of uh, belief in God, Christianity, Catholicism, and at the same time be a perfectly, you know, effective fighter. You know, that doesn't mean that you start out trying to kill the other guy's kids. That's not Catholic or Christian at all. You don't start out that way. But if that's what they're threatening you with, well, then it's on them, you know. So that's what I always say, you know, the rules of war, the rules of engagement, the rules of a fight, whether it's a street fight or an argument in the boardroom or whatever. Those rules are not there to protect me. 
Those rules are there to protect you. Keep that in mind. Those rules that, you know, if you're going to fight with me and you want to use proper rules, you know, good. Good for you. Well done. We'll use the rules. The minute you break one of those rules, guess what? There's no more rules. And if we're fighting with no rules, I'm not worried. I might be worried a little bit for my immortal soul, but I'm not worried about losing that fight. So, all you little, you know, social justice warriors that are thinking, oh, we can do this, we can do that. No, you can't. Because when it eventually comes down to it, you're going to disappear. You're going to be wiped out, you know, from people that actually know what they're doing. So don't stir the beast, you know, if you don't want to be beasted, sort of. Anyway, um... You know, these are concepts for when and if there is the, as the Americans call it, the boogaloo. But uh, don't don't despair. Don't don't focus on negatives. You know, like try and be uh, positive, whatever. And in times of peace, of course, as a strong, upstanding sort of Catholic warrior type, you can teach children. You can keep the the faith alive. You can take correct action. You know, there's still widows to help, prisoners to visit the poor to help as you can and so on you know and spreading the faith and so on so there's many many things that you can do even if you're not at war right and um and anyway it's good to to revive the uh, the true um the real principles of catholicism okay that's it for now